The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. We're in John 15 this morning, and I want to tell you about a guy named St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a 4th century uh, theologian and, and one of the most important early church fathers in Western Christianity. And he spent 30 years working on um, a book that had to do with explaining the complexity of the Trinity, the idea that God is one, that there is one God in, in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Father is, is fully God. The Son, Jesus the Son, is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God, and yet there are not three gods but one. And St. Augustine spent 30 years attempting to clarify the complexities of this doctrine. And the story goes that one day he's walking by the sea, and he, he sees a boy, a young boy, uh, running to the water and then back to a place in the sand and going back and forth. And he sees him carrying a little seashell. And every time he returned to the water, he would, he would dip it in the ocean and carry the water back to a place in the sand where he dug this little hole. And Augustine went up to this boy and said, What are you doing, boy? And the boy replied, I'm, I'm attempting to put the sea in this little hole in the sand. And St. Augustine, it was just Augustine back then, he, he said, well, that's impossible. That's absurd. You could never fill that hole with the entire ocean. And the boy answered, it's no more impossible to do that than to write a book about the Trinity. I don't know. That's the fable. That's the story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a pretty good zinger uh, to St. Augustine. But, that's, but think about this. That's, what, that's the idea. He's, he's attempting to explain the complexities of the nature of God. And the boy is saying, hey, you think, you think that's difficult it's just like filling the entire ocean into this little hole in the sand. How can we fathom, how can we even understand the complexities of, of who God is and his nature? And so we're spending three weeks appropriately talking about God because we know that we don't want just to know God. We don't believe that it's, it's a good pursuit to know God, but also to know truth about God. And in knowing the truth about God, we can truly admire him and praise him and worship him as he is, is truly known. God's nature is, is completely other. It's completely different. You know, sometimes when things are confusing to understand, we use analogies. Analogies are really helpful. Analogies and, and metaphors to describe things. You know, when the first automobile was, uh, was, was created, was invented, uh, people asked, what is that like? And they described it as, as you may remember this, the, well, not you personally, but the horseless carriage, right? You know that phrase, the horseless carriage. Well, what, is this, what is this automobile like? Well, it's like, a, it's like a carriage without a horse. And that's how they would describe it. They, they used something that was familiar to them to describe something that was very unfamiliar. But God's nature is, is other. He has no one with whom to compare himself. The Psalms often ask this question, who is like God? Who can, compare, who can you compare him to? And the answer is no one. There is no equal. There is no one like our God. And we fall short of trying to compare his nature perfectly, but the Bible does tell us what his works are like. The Bible does reveal himself to, reveal God to us, his nature, his work, his personality, his personhood, how he works in our life. And so the point of this series is to, to know God, to know him deeply as he's been made known to us in Scripture. And so this is what the Trinity series is all about, to see God's work in our life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Towards the end of knowing God and the truth of God, 
in order to admire him and enjoy him and glorify him in all that we do. Last week we learned about the work of the Trinity in our salvation, that God the Father has planned to adopt us as his children, to redeem us by sending his Son to die for our sins and to make us holy through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. This is God's great and wonderful, gracious plan to us. And so this week we move on from the work of salvation, God's work of salvation, to our, his work in our everyday life with him. So last week was the, the wedding, okay? Last week was the wedding ceremony, this God bringing us to himself. And then this week we talk about the marriage. What does it look like to actually this ongoing life with God? Okay, now we're married, now what do we do? What does it look like to grow with the Lord? And Jesus spoke extensively about God's work in our life, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and His work in our everyday life. John 15 teaches us that the Trinity is practical to our everyday relationship with Him. And knowing God as three in one should be the center and and orienting place of our relationship with Him. And it's so practical. Think uh, Think about this situation. Jesus is with His disciples uh, John 13 through 17 is commonly known as the, 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 um, the departure uh, series or the, the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. It was these chapters that were, Jesus was talking about, I'm leaving, I'm going soon, my departure is imminent, soon I won't be with you guys, but here is how your relationship with God is going to look like even when I'm gone. And the disciples, think about this, they're, they're really freaked out. They're really confused. They're really nervous. They're afraid. Jesus has been their friend for years. He has been their protector. When they had questions about God, he would answer them. He's getting ready to be crucified, and he has one last night with his friends on earth. And he begins to speak to them and says, Guys, I'm, I'm going to leave soon, and where I'm going, you can't follow. You cannot come with me. And understandably, they're so bothered by this. They're thinking, what are we going to do now? Who will protect us? Who will teach us? But probably most important, and put yourself in, your, in, in their shoes if you can, who's going to teach us about God once you are gone? What will our relationship with the Father look like once you have left? What do we do tomorrow? And when we had questions about God, how will we find the answers? And so Jesus tells them, here's how God is going to work in your life. Here is how you will grow in knowing God on a daily basis. And believe it or not, me leaving is going to help that effort. Knowing God as three in one will deeply impact your daily relationship with God. And Jesus urges us to have this in mind, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we live our daily lives with Him. And so let's look at a few of these things in John 15 and beyond. The first is that, the Father is the source of all God's good purposes for us. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Instantly, they would be aware of this analogy. They lived in an agrarian society, in an agricultural society. They knew what it was like to take care of the land, to be farmers, to cultivate, to create. And, and Jesus is saying, my Father, your Father in heaven is the vine dresser. He's the farmer. He's the, the chief farmer. The Father's activities in, in this passage, he, he takes away, He prunes, He answers prayers, He shows us what pleases Him, that we would bear fruit by abiding in Christ. He, he loves the Son. 
And Jesus loves us, and God loves us because of Jesus. God the Father has a plan. He has a plan for your growth. He has a plan to cultivate His blessing in your life. He has a plan to bear, to, for you to bear fruit. If you've ever thought of or felt this way that, you know, God doesn't have time for me. God doesn't, God the Father doesn't have time for me, but Jesus, you know, he, He's the sympathetic one. He has time for me. He loves me. He will listen to me. Maybe this is because of you yourself has, have had an earthly father who has been distant, or maybe he's been present, but he's been very disconnected in that time. Jesus means to tell us that the activity of the Father in our life, even now, is incredibly active, incredibly personal. He's incredibly present in our life, cultivating his blessing. He's not distant. He's not preoccupied with other things. He has time for you. And not only that, He has planned to work in your life. He is the source of all God's good purposes for you and I. You remember the story of the prodigal son where uh, the father has a couple sons and, 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 and the younger son demands his inheritance. And he says, give me what is owed to me and I'm going to take off. And so the younger son, the wasteful son, the, the prodigal son, he, he leaves he abandons his family, and he squanders his wealth. And this is what sin is in the Bible as it is expressed to us, that it's this rebellion from God. It's rebellion from our blessing. It's a rebellion from what's truly good for us. It is looking at God and saying, I know better. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to find my own path. I'm going to choose my own adventure. You've given me instruction. You've given me one way to live, but, but I'm going to figure this out on my own. That's what sin really is. It's this rebellion from what is ultimately good for us. It is this anti-God state of mind, this pride, this self-centeredness that insists that everything we give ourselves to must be a means to an end for our own happiness. God is utterly different. God's people have forever had a history of running from what is ultimately good for them. And to grow as a Christian, to grow as a follower of Jesus, we need to get it right at the source. That the Father is the giver of all that we need. That He's the cultivator, that He's the farmer of all that is good for us. That if we desire good, it comes from God. There is no other source of our ultimate good than the Father's blessing. And so rebellion in the Bible and sin as it's talked about is really saying, I don't believe that. I believe that there's there's good for me, ultimate good, beyond what God has planned for me. The Father is the source of all encouragement, the Bible says. He's the, he's the source of all answered prayers. He's the source of all blessings that we receive, all grace that is extended to us. The Bible says He's the source and fountain of all heaven's love. And this is why Jesus instructs us to not only see the source of our blessing as God the Father, but to pray to Him as the source of our answered prayers. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Because God the Father is a great farmer, the farmer father who cultivates his blessing, who works out his good in us. He's the ultimate source of all of heaven's love for us. Practically, I want you to think how this might affect your life. Think about, think about your struggles. I mean, right, right now, today, where you find your life. Think about your doubts. 
Think about your discouragements. Think about your confusions. Think about your pains, whether they're physical or emotional or spiritual or familial. Think about all these things that are burdened in your life right now. All the, all the mess, all the negative. Now let me ask you this. Do you believe that you have a Father in Heaven who truly cares? For those exact things, those specific things that are troubling you and worrying you right now, do you believe that you have a Father who desires to cultivate good in that situation? Do you believe that He is the source of all encouragement for that need? Hold that in your thought. And now think of the other side of it. Think about all the, think about all the good. Think about the joy. Think about all the blessing, all the celebrations, all the wins in your life. Think about all the things that you're thinking of. Like, this is great. These are going well. Think about your paycheck. Think about your possessions. Think about the, your job and what it offers to you. Think about your, your family. Think about the blessings that have been provided to you there. Think about your friendships and your, and your food and the clothing that you have. Think about the education that you've received. Think about all the things that have come to you. And then, and then ask yourself this question. Do you believe that all of those are from God? Do you believe that He has given you those out of an expression of His love and goodness? Do you believe that He's the source of all good in your life? Do you believe that, by being, that He, by being the source of all blessing in your life, that He then is due all admiration and praise for everything you have. You see, when, when we see God the Father as the source of all blessing to us, as Jesus makes Him known to us, we'll see that He's working in our life, that He is very present, that He is active and involved, that he, and that our lives ought to be lived out with an aim to praise Him and thank Him and find encouragement in Him. How does that change you today? Do you just carry the burdens with you and say, well, it'll get better, it'll, something will change, something will happen, or do you go directly to the source? Say, God, you alone are the fountain of any hope that I have, any blessing, any encouragement at this moment in my life. I need it from you. And every good that I have, thank you for all that you've given to me. What would that look like in your daily life to see God as the ultimate source of all blessing and all encouragement? Jesus wants us to realize that we have a Father like that. A Father in Heaven who's working, who's farming, who's cultivating all of His blessing in us. Jesus is leaving. He's leaving the earth. He's leaving His friends. And He says, but you'll be okay because you have a Father in Heaven who's working diligently in your life. And the way that He works out His blessings is through the Son. Through Jesus the Son. Jesus says, the way that God is going to bring His blessing to you is by accomplishing those blessings in me. And so stick with me. Abide in me. Remain in me. And this is the second movement, the second thing we look at the, as we look at God's work, the triune God in our daily relationship with Him. Jesus makes us fruitful. Jesus makes us fruitful. He calls himself the true vine. The true vine. If anyone abides in me, they will bear fruit. Jesus is the true vine. So if Jesus is the true vine, it might, ask, might cause us to think, well, he's the true vine. What's the untrue vine? 
What's the inadequate vine? What's the, the ineffective vine? What's the, the, the false vine? You know, in the Old Testament, this requires a little bit of real brief history. In the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, his chosen people were, were called God's vine. They were the vine that was, that was planted by God. And whenever this analogy was used in the Old Testament as the analogy between God's people and the vine, it was always used to point out their failure to bear fruit. Their faithlessness, their, their inability to bear fruit. And God would bless them, and they would squander that blessing. God would warn them, and they would run into danger. God would, uh, they would neglect that warning. Now, Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, everything that you have worked to do, to do and have failed to be fruitful in, I will succeed where you have failed. I will be fruitful where you have been fruitless. Every work of yours that has failed to honor God because it's been broken with sin, it's been broken with self-centeredness, with pride, with, with rebelling from God's good, everything that you fail to do, I will do perfectly. And I will bring this fruit to the Father. So abide in me. Stick with me. Remain in me if you want to be fruitful. Jesus is saying, what, is it, what does it make, what, it, what makes a good Christian? You see, what does it make to be a good person of God, a, a people of God? You know, all these, these rituals and, and perfect obedience and obeying God's commands and reading your Bible and going to church habitually and giving to, to acts of compassion and justice and, and need in our world. What does it really look like to be a good Christian? Jesus says in, in every effort to be that good vine yourself, to be that fruitful Christian, that fruitful vine, you have failed. And now that has given way to the new vine. A good Christian is one who abides in Christ, who looks to Christ. If there's anything to get from what Jesus is saying as the true vine, is that the essence of Christianity is the union between a sinner and a perfect God on the basis of Jesus' perfect obedience. The essence of Christianity, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is to find our identity with God the Father on the merits of Christ and not us being a good and fruitful vine. You've heard it said so many times, I'm going to twist this phrase just a little bit. You've heard this phrase, that God loves us exactly where we are. You heard that before? Just give me a nod. And you're thinking, oh no, Pete's going to say that that's wrong. You're right. Rather, this is what the Bible says, God loves us in spite of exactly where we are. And they may, may, this, they may mean the same thing, depending on how you look at it, but, but look at it the way I'm saying it. God loves us in spite of who we are. Not God loves you exactly where you are. I think he loves us exactly in spite of where we are. In our, in our weakness, in our lack of character, in our disobedience. Where am I today? Where am I exactly today? I'm broken. I'm needy. I'm a failure. I sin against God in, in thought, word, and deed can, like, throughout the day. Where am I exactly 
Without Christ, I, I'm, I'm guilty. Jesus says, well, I'm the true vine. You're not the true vine. You're, you're, if, without me, he says, in this passage, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? It doesn't mean apart from me, you are, you are of, of no value, of no good. You can't do anything right. That's not what he's saying. He's saying apart from me, apart from your communion and connection to me, you will bear no fruit. That leads to admiration and glory and your salvation and any work or merit that is pleasing to God, you're unable to do. Jesus alone, he is setting himself up as the, the sole spokesperson and sole agent who brings us into a fruitful relationship with God. Every time that I've spoken on John 15, I've told a story of my tree in my yard. Now, maybe if you've been with me, us for years at Holy Cross, you've heard me tell this story. This is our old house, actually. We lived there for 10 years. Now, the, the tree on the left is, is my tree, and the tree on the right is my next-door neighbor's tree. And we moved in at the same time 10 years ago. The trees were planted at the exact same time. And I've told the stories about how I'm, I'm pruning this tree, and I'm nurturing this tree, and I'm cutting it back, and I'm taking branches off, and I'm, I'm digging a stake into the ground, and I'm putting extra irrigation water into it. And it is dead. I have killed it. That picture was taken this morning. i got to get a picture of that tree. And the tree on the right is our neighbor's tree. They were planted at the same time. It is flourishing. It is fruitful. It is blossoming. And this tree, my tree, is as good as, as nothing. It is as good as dead. And it will be cut down and it will be thrown away. Why? Because it is not getting nourishment. It is not connected. I don't know why or how. Blame, blame my net landscaper, Gary. I don't know what is going on. Sorry, buddy. He had nothing to do with it. That was all, that was all me. It's not getting, it's not healthy. And for some reason, the other one is connected to some source of nourishment. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. I am the, I have the sole authority on what, is, what makes a person fruitful. I am alone fruitful, Jesus says. I am the true vine. You are actually disobedient. You are actually rebellious. You are a sinner. So what's the hope? Abide in me. Get connected to me. And the Father will prune. He will cultivate. He will farm. He will cut back what is dead. He will do surgery. And as long as you remain in me, you will bear fruit. And this fruit will be abundant. Where's my segue from a dead tree to this? Jesus aims to teach us that fruitfulness, love, joy, peace, patience, obedience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. We think of the life, the behavior of a Christian. We think of the joy and the peace that comes to a person who is really abiding in Christ. Okay, how do I get that? How do I manifest the, the evidence that the God is working in my life? What does that person look like? Jesus says, this happens. This, or he says, this does not lead to an extraordinary relationship with God. 
but rather this is the result of an extraordinary relationship with God. Fruitfulness is a symptom of our abiding in Christ. It is not a means to. We do not obey. We do not do good. We do not put on a smile. We do not change our attitude or behavior in order to please God, to find acceptance from God, to abide in Him, but rather abiding in Christ is the means of God's fountain of blessing to transform and change our life. This is the true vine. When we understand that, we understand Jesus is the true vine, that he accomplished what all of us have failed to accomplish. He's, he has loved the Father with all of his heart, mind, and strength. So there must become a self-conscious change in our attitude for what it means to be obedient to God. Jesus says, you got to stay connected to me. If you want to grow, without me, you can't do it. If you want the love and peace of God to reign in your life, you must stay connected to me. He's telling us the most important takeaway from Jesus' role in our daily growth, our daily Christian walk with the Lord, is that if we desire to grow in this life, we must trust in His work and His perfect righteousness and his perfect obedience as the basis of God's blessing to us. And not any good on our part. Any good that will happen to you is not because you got it right. Not because you stumbled into obedience. It's because Jesus got it right. And the joy of the Father and the Son's obedience is being given to you on that basis alone. This is a self-conscious change in our thinking for what it looks like to respond to God in obedience. Instead of, God, i got to get this right. I've got to change my life so that you will love me. Say, no, because he loves, because he's called you friend, because he has adopted you as sons, we live our life as an, as an expression of admiration and praise. And the basis of him accepting that offer of obedience is because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the true vine. Here's another analogy. Think of a postage stamp. You guys are probably going to buy a bunch of stamps soon as you send out Christmas cards and things like that. And you're going to maybe go to the post office and you're going to flip through and you're not going to like any of them. And you're thinking, you know what? My kid has a bunch of stickers at home. Why don't I save some money, save some time, just put those stickers on that letter I mean, these are, these are more colorful, they're more fun, they're more friendly. People will like these a lot better. What's going to happen? They're not going to get anywhere. Why? Because they're only a government-approved stamp that represents a proper payment will get that letter to work and to get that letter to get where it needs to be. Well, Jesus' death, his life, his death, his resurrection his ascension into the presence of the Father, where he now intercedes for us and mediates on our behalf for the Father's blessing is the only approved payment that will bear any fruit in our life. As we come to Jesus, we must respond to him by subjecting every other teaching, every other philosophy, every other thought and dream and idea to the ultimate authority of his word.
Because he says, you're already clean because of the word that has been spoken to you. To abide in Jesus is to subject every teaching and philosophy to the instruction of his word as we come to his word through the scripture. Culturally, politically, relationally, emotionally and physically. God, what do you think about any given thing? What is, what is your opinion? What does it look like to abide in Christ? Well, Jesus will draw us to his word. He'll remind us of his teaching. He'll remind us of his work, his life, his death, death, death and resurrection on our behalf. He'll remind us of all of his good work for us. And he'll say, orient your life around what I have done for you. This is what it means to abide, to remain <coughs> to be reminded of this. And this leads us to the work of the Holy Spirit for our daily growth as it works out these things. Jesus says in John 14, 25, in the midst of this conversation in John 15, just prior to that, he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring, you, bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll be honest about this passage as it relates to the Holy Spirit and His work in our life. I'll be honest about my personal interaction with this. I believe this in my head. But I, it is a challenge to truly embrace this in my heart. When Jesus looks to his disciples and says, it's going to be better if I leave you. I believe that. But I have a hard time really wrestling that, that, there is, that I am better off right now than if Jesus were here with me. That I am better off growing in my relationship with God, knowing God, being reminded of his love for me, embracing that love, and living a fruitful life, glorifying a God full of peace and joy by having Christ in heaven at the right hand of the Father than right here with us. Anybody else struggle with that? This is what they're struggling with. His friends, his disciples are saying, but how can this be? You're leaving us? And Jesus says, it's going to be better. Well, how? Because I'm going to give you the helper. And he will remind you of my work. He will remind you of this good news. He will instruct you in how to live. And not only that, he will transform your very being. He will fill you with, with my presence. And I'm saying these things to you so that you would have my joy and that your joy will be full. If you know what I know about God the Holy Spirit, you would be very happy that I'm leaving to go to be with the Father. That's what he says. He says, if you know what I know, you would rejoice. You would rejoice to know that I'm going to the Father. Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, here's why it's good. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we would never truly understand. We can never truly embrace. We would never truly be able to enjoy the work of Christ on the cross for us. Because the blessings of God are in Christ and come to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. As he applies them to our heart by his grace through faith. The Spirit is the perpetual minister of God's presence. There was never a more amazing display of God's presence in the life of humans, mankind, 
than the incarnation. This is what we celebrate in Christmas. We'll celebrate in like four weeks, okay? Advent season. The celebration of Christmas, God with us, that God the Father, that God, this plan from all eternity, would send His Son, God the Son, to dwell among us. Emmanuel means God with us. He is with us. This is the most wonderful expression of the presence of God in our life is Jesus made human, living in a space and time in our history, in our life. The Son of God took on human nature and lived among us. He lived among His disciples for 24 hours a day. They were privileged in seeing Him work out and perform miracles revealing to them God the Father and what it meant to know Him. He applied the truth of God to their lives. And the Apostle uh, John wrote of Jesus saying, we have seen God's glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen God. He's dwelt among us. The disciples were courageous. They were protected. They were comforted. They were in the presence of God. They were satisfied. They were encouraged in their faith. Having Jesus was amazing. Can you imagine? And when Jesus told them that he was going away and they couldn't follow, he's telling them, you will have all of this still. He assures them that God's intimate presence and intimate fellowship and relationship with them would continue and it would actually be better by him leaving. The fact that Jesus tells us that we will need a divine helper shows us that our human minds and our human hearts are influenced by many prejudices, by many sins, and we often get it wrong. That we will often be wrong as we seek to know the mind of God. When we ask, what is God like? What should I do today? How should I believe in Him? Jesus is telling us, you're going to need help because you're going to get it wrong a lot. Your emotions are going to trick you. Your circumstances are going to confuse you. Your will is going to be weak and you will do things that are not good. So you need a helper. You need the very presence of God. To do what? The Bible says to remind us of all that Christ has taught us. To remind us of all that he has done for us. To remind us that he's the true vine. That our adoption into God's family is based on Jesus. We, we welcome this conviction. And we enjoy the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We welcome the conviction for, the, for God through the work of the Holy Spirit, to tell us, you, you don't get it, you don't see it exactly. Be reminded of Christ. When we lack faith, the Holy Spirit stirs in our hearts for us to believe and to hear the Scripture. When we sin, the Spirit brings conviction and draws our hearts to remember to obey God. When we are at odds with other, the Holy Spirit confronts that bitterness and selfishness, and applies the work of Christ in our life so that we would love as He has loved us. When we're tempted in sin, the Holy Spirit ministers grace in our life to sustain us and empower us to resist sin in that moment. This daily, continual fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. Do you see the drama of God, the three-in-one, working out in our life? Where many aspects of the Trinity are very confusing, I acknowledge that. They're very mysterious. We're called as Christians to meditate deeply on this, the way that God has revealed himself to us as triune. To meditate deeply that God the Father is the source of all blessing. That Jesus the Son alone makes us fruitful as we abide in him. 
and that the Holy Spirit brings real abiding presence and ministry to our life, empowering us to obey God, to turn from sin, to find comfort in what Jesus has done, reminding us of all that Jesus has done for us. Why does Jesus tell us these things? Because the more we know God, the more joy we will have. Jesus says, I tell you these things so that your joy will be full. You're lacking in joy today. He says, I can tell you're lacking in joy. But dwell on these things. Meditate on these things deeply. Know that God is working, that he is cultivating. The Holy Spirit brings to us the remembrance of the joy of the Father's work and the redemption of Jesus on the cross for our sins. What do you need to remember this morning? What do you need to remember? Do you need to remember that God the Father is the source of all blessing? That he's very present in your life? Have you forgotten that? Have you felt abandoned? Have you felt misled? Have you felt like God is just, he doesn't care, he's too busy, he's just not a part of what you're going through? You need to hear from the the words of Jesus that, that he is cultivating his blessing in your life today. That he desires that you would come to him as a child, as a needy child that says, God, I need you. Would you help? Would you bring your blessing? Would you comfort me and encourage me? And I don't want to run anywhere else. I want to go to you. Have you forgotten that Jesus alone is the true vine? Have you been working your salvation? Have you been attempting to just finally turn over a new leaf and finally change that character so that you can be the Christian God desires you to be? Have you noticed that not once in John 15 has Jesus commanded us to bear fruit, but he commands us to abide? Because we are never commanded to to put on that happy face. We're never commanded to work out on our own will the character that God desires us to do. He, rather, he says to walk as worthy of the gospel that Jesus alone is good and righteous, that he's died for our sins, and by trusting in him, those blessings flow to us. Have you forgotten the presence of God through the work of the Holy Spirit today in your life. That He's not far from you? Have you forgotten to yield your will, your emotion, your intellect? Have you forgotten to feel that conviction of sin and delight in that? This is a good thing. God is drawing you closer to Him. The three-in-one, orienting our life around the relationship of who God is and what He's done in our life. Let's pray.